Hello, and welcome to Ray's Music Reviews. I'm your host, Ray, with KP. And today we are reviewing classic 1983 album, Violet Femmes, self-titled LP, Violent Femmes, right after this. Welcome to Ray's Music Reviews. Come along as Ray embarks on a musical journey through the songs, albums, artists, and genres that have inspired Ray to dive deeper and learn more about them. And now, back to Ray's Reviews. KP. What's up, brother? You ready? Uh, yes. Um, Violent Femmes are an alternative rock, kind of folk punk outfit from Wisconsin, kind of in that 80s alt-rock scene. But what makes Violet Femmes stand out, however, is their association with the 90s grunge movement, um, specific, like the Seattle movement, Nirvana, and that stuff. Blister in the Sun is basically a 90s hit, despite coming out in 83. I think um, I think they said it took four years for that album to go. It was certified gold in four years. It didn't hit the top 200 for you know somewhere around that same amount of time. So it, it built slowly. Released in '83, and then by the time you get to '90, it's become a staple on alt rock radio, which was new to form anyway. Yeah, I mean this album was incredibly ahead of its time. Um, I would think so, especially considering the fact that it is. Like you said, acoustic punk, which yeah. which is acoustic punk describes everything per- perfectly, right? Because it is a it is a contrast in terms the entire record. Yeah. As you said, you're talking about a acoustic punk outfit out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Not necessarily a hotbed for music. There's another hotbed for music in the Midwest, yeah. but it's Chicago, right? Yeah. Or in the, in the middle of the country, it's Chicago. And so, but then the rumor is they got discovered this three piece band playing street music, guitarist James Honeymoon, Honeyman Scott, and he invites them to open for them. It still takes a while. They have to borrow money from De Lorenzo's father, 10 grand, to get a record made. Gordon Gano is the guy who's writing these lyrics and playing guitar. He's living with a Baptist father, a preacher. And his mom is a theater actress. And then you have Brian Ritchie, who is, to me, the unsung hero of the record with his bass playing. The stripped-down drums we get because it's a stand-up drummer with not a big kit to play with. And it all allows for... It allows for Gordon Gano's voice to be the front and center. And he has a... when, When you said associate grunge his voice is where because yeah. those guys in the grunge movement had had um very unique sounds regardless yes. of whether some of them could do a lot of notes some of them couldn't but they had unique sound in the way they they sang and a lot of the alt movement did prior to that sometimes i wonder if we give grunge too much credit for music that opens up because a lot mm-hmm. of alt music at that time wound up being that, opening up your soul and all that. But I, I, AJ was the one we talked to at work that mentioned that he thought this might be the first grunge record. Yes. And we thought that was smart. Um, yes, because of its lyricism. Absolutely. More yeah. so than anything else. Because the, the music, you know, the, the I wouldn't say it's funky, but there's a groove to it. There's a groove. I would say that its sound could be confused for something that came out in the 90s. Certainly. I think a lot of people tried to emulate what they did later, a decade later. 
I think that uh, the backing vocals in this album are actually quite important. Uh, because sometimes uh, the lead vocalists can sometimes uh, kind of go on like rants. And I think that the backing vocals kind of keep, make sure that this, the song kind of stays in place for a bunch of the songs. This album sounds very like rickety. Like sometimes it sounds like these songs are about to like fall apart at the seams. Right. And I feel like that's kind of an, an extremely appealing part of the record. Yeah, um, because like you're saying, you have this, the hooks are very good. And it's very catchy, and you can, no matter how awful the content is he's singing about or how uncertain the content is he's singing about, the this there is a sing-song, and there is something that if he was in a crowd of people, they could sing along with it. You know, there's counting, there's, you know, the gone, daddy gone, love yeah. has gone away. There's stuff like that. Uh, Blister in the Sun is a, a song that has been sung in frat houses and Absolutely. bars and wherever forever. The fact that they managed to pull it together as he seems to be going off the rails constantly is really neat. And again, it adds to the everything about the record is this dichotomy push-pull. You want to get uh, into the record? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what would your favorites be? I mean, personally, when I think of my favorites, I think of the first and last four songs. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. I mean, obviously, the first four-song run is like all time you know blister in the sun kiss off please do not go and add it up is just an absolutely in phenomenal um way to open up a career right yeah i think i would say that it took a while for me to confessions is weird because i like it but at the same time i think it's a bit much like i, I like i like it <laughs> But you know, so, so it it just just the whole I'm so lonely thing. Yeah, it, it it can just it can get a little it can get a little much. Yeah, for me sometimes. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You appreciate the sorrow that's going through him, but by the same token, the whole the whole trip along the way has been about sorrow. But the thing that keeps you listening or confused, you know, Blister in the Sun is about heroin addiction, and yeah. and you have you know, Kiss Off is he's listing all of his crises, and you know, please do not go again. He's being left, added up, you know, you're adding, it's, but at yeah. least all of those songs are catchy. Yeah. Right? So it's a, there's, so the, but there's, so there's an offset. And with Confessions, you really do wind up having to deal with the sorrow. Yeah. That's there. There, there, there I, I will say there are some parts where, sometimes where I probably wouldn't be able to stomach Confessions. Right. Um, which is not a, which, which is, is not, it's not, it's not a, a bad thing. No, right. I get it. But I like, it, like right. it makes, it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I think um, it starts to pick up after Promise. Uh, technically, it starts to pick up after Prove My Love, but I think Promise is where it truly, like, completely goes back into um, what the first four songs were. Mm-hmm. Gets back into a similar, yeah. we're grooving. You, you didn't think Prove My Love did that? I thought it was good. Right, okay. I, th- I thought it was good. I th- like, that's... So I feel like I feel like Prove My Love is good, but I don't feel like it's on the level of Promise or Gone Daddy Gone, mm-hmm. or even To the Kill, which I do quite like. That's creepy that you like To the Kill. Isn't he like stalking a girl to Chicago that's left him, oh. or that he wants something like that? That's good though. Hey. Yeah. I mean, to the. I mean, I, I do quite like uh, the instrumental to Do the Kill. I get it. And plus, like, whatever strikes your fancy. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, when you, you have this guy 
and you're talking about like gone daddy gone again you know there's there's a lot of yearning for acceptance whether it be from females and i think you you know the album's written he's it starts the last song he writes when he's 15 yeah good feeling yeah and i think that's fascinating because the rest of the record is written, it feels like is written, and it is written, but you know, the 16, 17, 18, where he's starting to figure out who he is as a person. He's starting to feel the pushback of society against that teenage angst. He's starting to try to figure out his sexuality. He's starting, he's, he's dealing with a drug addiction. Yeah. At that young of an age, and he's pouring, and I, I would guess that because of all those things going on with him at one time, he's just pushing his raw emotion into the music and then of course he's lucky enough to have a you know in, in a small musical community to have a group of guys that can help him arrange this into a I don't want to say fun but a yeah a more palpable way so that you can embrace all of all of the pain he's giving you without being depressed yeah and it, and again when you talk about a dichotomy right you have all of these songs about his personal issues and in, in needing to be accepted or loved or but then with good feeling you feel like okay at the end at least he gave me a going away present of yeah. this beautiful little love song nice and simple and kind and it, it's totally different from the rest of the record what's fascinating to me about it is that it's the last song yeah. because it feels like it's sending you off into happiness but in reality that's where he was at 15. The rest of the record is where he is as as he's writing and putting it out. Yeah. You know, which is, I, I also thought it was incredibly um, smart by whoever created this record, whoever decided what song order it was going to be in, yeah. to put that at the bottom as a going away present. Yeah. It also feels like a, like a last song. Absolutely. You know, good feel. Uh, I'd say Good Feeling was probably my uh, second, was it at least a top two song on the album. So after um, after he murders the girl, you you were happy with the love song. <laughs> no, <laughs> my other favorite song was not to the kill. <laughs> uh, my other favorite song was probably added up. Added up's fantastic. Added up, a good feeling, and uh, that that would be my top two. That would be my top two. I think promise might end up being in my top three. I, I quite liked promise. Right. I, I like promise quite a bit. It's really brisk. I love the guitar tone. I mean, that that could just be said for this. Whole Dude, he does thing. a good job playing guitar here. This is a lot of music for a three-piece without a whole lot plugged in around it. Yeah. To accomplish. I want to say it's a xylophone. Xylophone by Brian Ritchie, multi-instrumentalist Brian Ritchie. But uh, yeah, what would you add? I I, I, I really like the record. I feel yeah. like it's the it's the precursor to not just what winds up being um, grunge. I think it's the pre the precursor to a lot of just alt music in general. And I feel like, like I said, I I didn't know of this record. You know, eighty three's middle school for me, mm -hmm. and yet as as I'm going through high school, the songs start to get more popular. And then when I get to college, everywhere I went. Blister in the Sun and, you know, Added Up and Gone Daddy Gone. Those things are getting played in every every bar you're going into. Every It's yeah. so strange that it, it was from 83, and then when you get to 89, 90, 91, these songs are taking over 
the younger generation who a lot of times you think are going to be diving into current stuff. And then it still being played heavily in beach bars as I became a young adult. And it still is something that if you're listening to some form of classic rock or alt rock station, they're still going to play these records all the time. And the fact that he managed to, that Gano managed to pin these at 17, 18 years of age and they've lasted is really impressive. Yeah. Um, do you think this album gets its due when it comes? Like, do you think? Not at all. No. Not at all. Uh, all the way to that, because I was just thinking, the um, there's some form of a greatest hits package called Add It Up that I think is released in around about 93. And literally, I know that album cover better than I knew this album cover. And yet they describe this as a classic album cover because it's the young girl in the white dress. Yeah. The, the, the photographer on the L.A. street says, hey, they're looking for something to put on a record cover. They ask if they ask the mom, "Hey, could she look in that window?" And supposedly it is to, again, it's the dichotomy, right? It's her losing her innocence looking through the window. Yeah, and that is such an incredible picture. And the fact that I don't even get to associate that with the record that much, and I, I'm around a lot of people, you know, and I've, I always have been. And so it's kind of funny that you don't think of this record, and especially because you think of this record as Blister in the Sun standalone, as Added Up standalone, as Gone Daddy Gone standalone, when the reality is this thing is beautifully put together in a row to give you, like you said, even if you don't love confessions or if it's too much for you, it's properly pe yeah. placed. It's right there to give you a break from yeah, absolutely. I, all I think, the... I think confessions... Uh, yeah, I like. I think... Looking at it, Confessions is a good song. Right, and Prove My Love being right behind yeah. it, again, takes you kind of back to where you started from. You know, they, they give you just a little break right there, and then they go through, and the promise leads to the kill, leads to Gone Daddy Gone. It, it, it builds, and then they give you this beautiful love song to go home on. It's an incredibly well-done record. I even like, I understand why they didn't put Ugly on there, because the content doesn't match the content on the rest of the record. But they evidently they wrote that during the same se sessions, and when they re-released it with like a digitally remastered version, you know they'll stick alternate tracks on there. And and ugly is a good song. Yeah, he was pinning some good stuff right about that time. What about you? You think it gets its due? I don't know, not particularly. I mean, there 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 might be some people, there might be like some type of cult people, uh, like cult following that it has, but I, I don't think nearly it gets it gets the recognition that it deserves. I agree. Being as influential and as ahead of its time as it was. Yeah, I, I feel like it should be thought of, and that's weird because I, 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 looking back on it and seeing and understanding what music evolved into, it seems like it should be placed in that realm with the appetites and the uh, Nirvana. And the Neverminds. Yeah, yeah, Tin, the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, Siamese Dream. Yeah, so albums or, like that. You know, I'm not saying it should be thought of as the greatest record of all time, but it should be in that list of records you think of when, when you, you think of music that motivated and moved people and influenced other artists and allowed young people to, to understand where their angst was coming from and how it, it can be pushed out into a positive manner or not positive manner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry if I went on a rant. 
No, no. This, this, I mean, Violet Femmes fashion, you know? Right, right. Rant. That's what rant. they were doing. That's going on a rant. Had to get in on it with them. Now, tell me this. What did you listen to this week? Um, uh, this week, I listened to um, Boards of Canada, Music Has the Right to Children. Um, it's an electronic album. I actually got it at a, a record store. Revolver Records on 12th Avenue, inside the Magnolia? Yes. Near Jitterbugs? Yeah. Like a short walk away? Yeah, they're Se- in the same seven, building. Seven strides. They're in the same building? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did not expect to click with this the first time I listened to it, and I did. Yeah. You like it? Yeah, I, 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 I like it quite a bit. Now tell me this, as a guy who can, who can find things inside of Electronica, what does that do for you? Uh, this? Just Electronica in general. Electronica? Um... Uh, I think electronic music, um, it has the chance to be extremely, like, ethereal. Mm-hmm. Like, it, ma- it can make you feel a very potent emotion without actually saying anything. Um, like, it can take whatever you're kind of feeling and, what's the word, maximize it? Right. Um, I also think sometimes it can just sound uh, really beautiful, like in um, would, would- in Olsen. Uh, which is a song off of this album. Would you say uh-huh. that electronica can do for a young person the same thing that, say, a jazz does for people? Allows them to get lost inside of the music without the worry of the words. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think like I think electronic music can. God, that's actually a good point. I'm clever, Ray. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, obviously, like, the textures and stuff are quite different. In a really broad sense, I mean, it's there. Yeah, and it free flows. You can go wherever you want. I, I, it's funny you said that because I, I got a Santana record, and it's, the, it's, it's an instrumental, and I put it on the other day, and I, and I was able to do other things and then pause and enjoy the... The ambiance, the the feeling that that it was giving me, and then I, then I was able to go back and do other things, and I never really realized. You don't realize how much you appreciate jazz, how much you appreciate instrumental records, until you you dive back into them because they just allow for so much, and it's so easy to get in and out of them as you're doing things. The pleasantness of your day can be enhanced with instrumentalists. Yeah, except for that uh, burial album we did. Yes, that was not a pleasant like day thing. That was a very sad, dreary day thing. Or Zamfir, the master of the pan flute, which we saw that record at Revolver Records. Mm-hmm. Eric turned us on to that. Did not purchase it, however. <laughs> Man, really it was, like there was a lot of good stuff up there this week. Yeah. I know Megadeth Live. We went into Megadeth Live a little bit. You, you think Dave Mustaine is a... Is a front man. Yes, he is a front man. I told you, though, man. You're sleeping on him. I do. I, I don't know. I make fun of Megadeth kind of because Dave Mustaine's a jerk, but I also uh, don't really feel like I have any right to because I've never, I don't really listen to them. Or Man. I haven't really gone out of my way to listen to them. Maybe the take I've, I've had that was the worst take I've ever had on anything was um, I thought Megadeth was better than Metallica for a little while. I did. I did, and I even saw, like I told you, I saw Megadeth live. My roommate in college won tickets to see them in Stone Temple Pilots. 
And we went there, and it was like us and a, just like several hundred middle schoolers. How, how long ago was this? 90-ish? 90. Whenever so Symphony that, of Destruction came out. So before lo the load and reload stuff? Even before, like, load and reload in St. Anger? Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was wrong. I mean, and then I, then I saw Metallica Dang. on the heels of that same the same year. And I was like, man, you have never been this wrong about anything <laughs> as you are this. Because don't get me wrong, those early Megadeth albums are great. Yeah. But I just had not been around the early Metallica. I, I've been around people who like Metallica and all that early on, but I had not. Once I saw them, I went back and dove into those records a lot. One problem with me, with the way I grew up, is I liked a lot of different kinds of music. Yeah. So I didn't focus on things and so as I got older I wound up diving back into things that I maybe glossed over and didn't get as much of as a, as a youngster. We did end up listening to some Megadeth in the car. You like Symphony? I thought it was alright. Skin of My Teeth was not your jam. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was that? Oh, that me. Meet, Meet the, the real me. <laughs> <laughs> so cheesy. It, I mean, it's fine. It, it's it's uh. Listen to some Judas Priest, which I did like quite a bit. Right? You had told me we saw a Judas Priest record in the store, and you told me you'd never heard it before, uh, and we remedied it. Yeah, I, I said, I, I, I don't, never, I've never really listened to that much Judas Priest. And, and you listened to Judas Priest, and I, I like Judas Priest. Legendary Beavis and Butthead. Breaking the law, breaking the law. I know, that's, that's beyond my time, I don't. They're coming back, baby. Yes. That's the great thing about cartoons, they don't get old. I remember when we saw, when we went to that festival, uh, what was it? Portugal the Man started playing. They had like a Beavis and Butthead skit. And I was like, what? What is this? What? I do not know this. I too uh, missed Speeding Bullet to Heaven. Kiss <laughs> and cartoons don't get old. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your mom was at the store with us, the record store? She was. Turned us on to some Neil Diamond. Turned you on to some Neil Diamond. I did not listen Indeed, to Indeed, but uh, to be fair, she was, uh, first of all, you should never have to apologize for listening to Neil Diamond. Second of all, to be fair, she wasn't looking for herself at that moment. What did you listen to? Let's see. I listened to The Who BBC Sessions lately. I've listened to Iggy Pop Live, the Believe in Montreal lately. We did the Judas Priest thing. I, wound in, I listened to Fishbone a lot this week, which I've talked about Fishbone ad nauseum. I like them. Mm -hmm. I think they're great. I, w I dove into the Give the Monkey a Brain and He'll Think He's the Center of the Universe record, which has, it's funny because I remember I went into the, there was a, there used to be this thing in the mall called the Record Bar. And uh, and the guy working, I, I grabbed a Living Color record called Stained. And I can't remember the order, so if I had the order wrong, I apologize. And he says to me, I said, hey man, is this, I mean, this is good, right? And I, I was going to buy it anyway because I'm a Living Color mark. But he goes, nah, man, I don't like it, man. They're trying to be Metallica. Okay. So then I grab a Fishbone record, however long later, or vice versa. And <laughs> I said, this is good, right? He goes, ah, man, I don't like it, man. They're trying to be Metallica. <laughs> they were heavier records. To say that Living Color would ever try to be Metallica <laughs> is to totally erase the fact that Corey Glover's voice is completely different. And the same with, like, there's not, there are no Sky influences in Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they are. Maybe I'll have to ask Lars somewhat someday. But <laughs> you know, one of those later records. Or... But there are heavy grinds inside of 
give a monkey a brain. Servitude and swim and things like that. They there are yeah heavy grinds in there, which I find fascinating and very good. This has been Ray of Ray's Music Reviews. KP. KP. Yeah. Check out our friends at the Game Project. Check out our friends Revolver. if you're in Pensacola. Check out our friends at Revolver Record. Inside the Magnolia. At uh. Check out our friends at the Jitterbug. At the Jitterbug. They'll get you jittering on the caffeine. Yep. Grab a sandwich. Do your thing. It's a wonderful spot. This has been Ray's Music Reviews. Go home. <laughs>